Hey, you're listening to the Winnipeg Music Project, where music making matters. I'm your host, Ashley Bienyage. Each episode features interviews with local music makers in hopes to connect the vibrant Winnipeg music scene with listeners like you. Through stories of songwriting, album releases, and touring, listen to the unique journeys of local artists who love what they do. to the Winnipeg Music Project on 101.5 UMFM. I'm Ashley Binion as your host. Today I'm here with Daniel Ryskin. Is that Sorry. That's is that, correct. Good morning. Is that how you pronounce it in Russian? Yes. Daniel yeah. Ryskin. Oh, cool. Great. Awesome. So how are you? I'm fine. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Here. Thank you for um, meeting with me here at Chibo. Chibos. Yep. Um, it's really wonderful. You got a busy day today. That's true. Um, yeah, we have a concert in the morning and a concert in the evening. A couple of meetings and presentations as usual. Yeah, but... Yeah. I'm happy we have time together. Me too. Um, is this always like your schedule or is this just a particularly busy day? I like to be busy. You know, it's um, when you perform on a high octane, it's uh, it's better to keep this energy and tension going all the time. The moment you slip away from that, it's difficult to come back. So uh, it's tiring and, you know, with all the international travel and stuff, sometimes jet lags and uh, it works so far. Right. So before I get into the whole conducting life, um, I want to know a little bit about yourself, like well, uh, growing up, how was music involved in your life? Well, actually, very um, intricately from the very early start. I was born in a family um, where music was um, there from the fir- very first hour. My brother was a cellist, and uh, by the time I was born, age difference, seven years, he just started playing his cello. So uh, the first things I heard in life were a very squeaky tones of his cello exercises and um and by the time I was six, seven, my mom was probably already sick and tired of carrying his cello around, so she <laughs> yeah, opted smaller. for something smaller, <laughs> and I got into the violin class. Um, and I was very, very fortunate to have um, people around me giving me the first, you know, the first steps in whatever you do, uh, whether it's a real physical steps, you know, and uh, your parents giving you support, or um, first steps in something like music, playing instrument, if you're entrusted in hands, uh, into hands of uh, someone who really cares and can show you the right direction, that can significantly impact your whole life. And mm-hmm. my first uh, teacher, Samuel Zabyzinski, an older gentleman, wonderful about kids and about you know making them not practice, but actually want to spend time with violin with various uh, degrees of success. Because you know when you're a kid, you not necessarily want to play boring scales on violin. You want to play outside. And, um, yeah, but uh, so music was always there. My father is a, was a physicist and engineer, but also a, a professional piano player and musicologist. And music was there. We were going to concerts and theaters uh, as long as I remember myself, you know. So there was never, I guess, there was never a question uh, asked and raised about uh, whether the future of m- in music is something uh, for me or not. And, uh, um did you I have don't know. Sorry. sorry did, did you have any other interests? Like, did you, did you, or did you know from a young age music was going to be your life? Well, you know, I, my parents always encouraged uh, me to do all kind of things, and uh, they were, you know, sending me to some kind of uh, sp- sports and um, as a, you know, to be as diverse as possible. But 
I think the the thing about growing up in Russia is a, in a, in a family where the music really matters. Uh, it was never a choice to uh, be in music as a matter of a hobby or something, you know, like a general education. Um, at least I don't think that my parents ever considered this as uh, being something a part of a overall upbringing. Yeah, once they chose uh, uh, for me to play violin, it was taken very seriously. So I really needed to fail badly in order not to <laughs> pursue it, uh, which I, I guess I did not, though I, I tried. I, I can tell you <laughs> I, I was not a very uh, obedient uh, student until my early teens and then uh, switched to uh, viola I was always a big boy so for me violin felt kind of not enough space right. to deploy myself and um, I was also fascinated by the different nature of sound of the instrument that was uh, to my ear more lyrical more akin to a human voice and uh, also fitting my physics and there also I had a great uh, luck of um, working with uh, my first viola teacher who really made me love uh, the instrument and the music and uh, to provide my own voice on it. So um, after that, <coughs> you know, it's um, it's been a very natural professional development into mm. that. But I think that music was not really uh, ever thought as a, as a, as a profession or uh, a hobby or a matter of education. It was a kind of condition I was born to. It was as apparent and as... Uh, Unavoidable as uh, having air, sun, and and uh, all the other uh, matters around you. you. Need, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. When I was when I was in music school, I had to do an accompanying class, um, and I have a uh, friend who plays viola, um, John Selick, and we did the Shostakovich concerto. The concerto? No, no, no. The Shostakovich. Um, the final piece he ever did um, for viola in this... Oh, yeah, the sonata. The, the sonata, viola yeah. sonata. Yeah, yeah the, we did the course. first movement together. Yeah. And it's probably one of the hardest pieces I've ever had to play. Yeah. As sparse as the accompaniment was, like, yeah. it was definitely a challenge. So I, yeah. I definitely appreciate the viola on um, yeah. a very personal level. And John was yeah. also the most wonderful person. So um, it's, I think, maybe just all... Viol uh, how do you say it? Violists? Viola or violists. Violists, yeah. yeah. Violists. And then, okay, yeah. Um, they're usually pretty nice people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. So, uh, how did it transition from uh, being a, a violist to um, this path of as a conductor and a, you know, eventually music director? That's again a, a question of uh, having someone on on your in your life and on your life path uh, you come across who really genuinely infects you with this idea in a good sense. And uh, in the music college I was uh, studying uh, viola, there was a a wonderful um, orchestral teacher and orchestral leader, the guy who took care about the school orchestra, but also was a professor of conducting class. And very early, I remember playing in the orchestra, and really I was fascinated about him being a very small and, and old individual, but with so much power and impact on a group of, a large group of teenagers, you know, 16, 17, 18 year old kids, you know how hard it is to make them concentrate on anything and, you know, like, but do in one, go in one direction and especially playing um, music on different instruments. And he managed it with such incredible results. And I guess he saw this in my eyes that I, I had this interest, this kind of flame that was starting to burn there. And he once really picked me up physically, like said, you come, you know, like, mm -hmm. and he just gave me a baton, you try, you know, and I almost died at that moment because, you know, this is like, 
what do you do? And I started to wave my hands more or less in the same movements and tempos trying to... I was sweating, I was really... But I had a most revealing time uh, to d until then in my life. And I just realized that this magic of um, the group of people playing the instrument, actually producing sounds, do react to what you do, you know? And you can actually shape the the sound, its quality, its colors, its dynamic, its velocity by the movements of your hands or if you stop or if your facial expressions, your, your body posture. So that really like hooked me up forever. And uh, the next day I was already in his class and you know, <laughs> and for four years he laid the most fundamental and most important, uh, uh, most important principles uh, of uh, being a conductor and, 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 and music director uh, in my uh, head, in my understanding, and that was the really most important departing point for me. And uh, I pursued uh, both directions uh, as an instrumentalist and uh, as a conductor for many years, first in studies, and then I concentrated on uh, being a performer, instrumentalist, being chamber musician, orchestra musician, soloist, uh, um, I traveled around the world and I realized soon that a certain degree of maturity, not only musical but also from a life experience point of view, need to be acquired before you have a story to tell, a story to share, and you in a way have a moral uh, right to stand in front of many people, sometimes twice or three times your age, and actually tell them to do something or to lead them into something, into the direction where, you know, the result will be something you want to express with music. Mm -hmm. And so I was actually starting my conduct professional conducting career rather late. If you compare it with the modern standards, you have uh, kids of 16, 18, 19, 20 starting their careers and some become music director of a major orchestra, which would have been unseen 50 years ago, you know. But that's, you know, pace of life and the perception of how things are going is changing and mm -hmm. we're changing with that and uh, nothing wrong about it. It's just a... Uh, in my profound experience also as a orchestral player, when you have a person in front of the orchestra who actually just generally, objectively, would not have a background to, to uh, involve, being involved, talking about phenomena like friendship, love, gain, loss, pain, simply because their age didn't allow them to yet experience this in a profound way that uh, leads you into being able to share these emotions through music. I always felt that it's it's very often about the image, you know, about the visual, and not so much about the content. And sometimes with the older people or more experienced conductors playing in the orchestra, I had a feeling that they don't even need to tell anything. Just from looking at them, you know, uh, the way they look at you, the way they shape the phrase, so much story was coming there. And you, you connected to that and you imbued it with, with your own feelings and one thing led to another, to a beautiful performance. So um, in that sense, I'm, I'm very, very uh, uh, j uh, grateful to uh, uh, opportunities in my life uh, where I could gain all this um, experience uh, as a musician, as a human being, uh, uh, being uh, away from a place you were born for now more than 30 years I'm uh, I, since I left my uh, my home country um, it's a kind of baggage it's a kind of background that helps you to um, at least try uh, finding some answers some fundamental answers to the questions that 
occupy all of us. Right. Are there any techniques from this conducting um, teacher that you had while you're in school that have stuck with you? That you, you of course. I mean, the, the most important is the uh, other the basics. The alto. It's like playing any other instrument. Not, not that I treat the orchestra as being an instrument played by a maestro, but but in a way, it kind of is. It's a prof- yeah. yes and, and and no. The older I get, the more I understand that it's actually not so. Okay. Um, it goes two way because uh, if the relationship between the conductor and the orchestra is right, then we are able to possibly bring the best out in musicians. But they do in their turn, again, if the relationship is right, bring the best in us. So I guess the orchestra is influencing and by that also plays to an extent a conductor, uh, if you can use these words, as much as the conductor influences and plays the orchestra. And the great results of the relationship between orchestra and conductor comes only, or is come only when this is a two-way process, you know. It's not a um, numb uh, uh, machine, you know, where you press keys and it, it gives... It's, a, it's an organism uh, comprised of uh, 70, 80 or more... Uh, living, uh, highly sensitive and well-trained individuals uh, with a great emotional loading. And uh, um, it's very important to understand it. But the basics, let's face it, conducting is a profession. And uh, um, it's very en vogue, very popular now uh, that, you know, good instrumentalists, some with more experience in playing orchestra, some less, get excited about, you know, taking a, a... giving a try to conducting and basically it it looks very easy you know you wave your hands in front of professional musicians they play people clap you you turn around you you know you come on stage you didn't do anything they already clap so Mm -hmm. it's 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 a success Um, but if you're if you're really serious about this conducting is a profession and in any profession whether you're cooking baking bread flying airplane or conducting an orchestra uh, there are certain degrees of basic knowledge and 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 uh, techniques you need to acquire that are typically conducting techniques now conductor is uh, is a medium between the score the audience the orchestra he's first and foremost listener and communicator i listen to what the musicians are playing having music in front of them there's a lot of information there i try to analyze what i hear and if need, get involved in correcting it so that, in my opinion, it gets closer to the overall idea of a composer. And I'm trying to communicate with them so that they communicate with each other and with the audience. But in order to do that, you need to know which buttons technically to press. How do you let trombones sitting 30 meters away from the last stand of the first violins be aware and actually make them able to play and feel what the violins are playing and violins knowing what the trombones playing and so on and sometimes these seemingly irreconcilable differences between you know piccolo and double bass xylophone and viola it's like like dialogue of people with totally opposite opinions but sitting in the same boat if they want to reach the same the same um, aim direction final station someone between them among them needs to uh, uh, help them communicate with each other, and yes, you need you need to know how to do that. Uh, and uh, th- of course, the basic musical training and elaborate musical training is important. But there are techniques, and uh, 
One of the most profound things I learned very quickly from one of the uh, greatest conductors I respect and one of my teachers used to be uh, many, many years music director of Detroit Symphony, Neyme Yarvi, a great uh, late Estonian conductor. He used to joke that, you know, the most important thing for all conductors is actually on this small card hanging on the door of each hotel room. It says, don't disturb, you know. <laughs> and it's as funny as it is, it's true because... Yeah. You can, with your involvement and sometimes uh, unnecessary gestures or trying to help, you can disturb something that will happen anyway. You just need to be there, listen, embrace, and sometimes just enable what's happening on stage. This enabler role uh, becomes for me more and more increasingly important. It's not about, you know, like telling people what to do. It's like giving them space and room to do the, what they can do best. Right. Oh, that's, that's such a good point. And when you really think about it, music can, is, I like to think of it, it can feel alive. And if you, if the artists are or the musicians are feeling it, you don't really want to like push that or control it if it's, if no. it's a beautiful moment. It's definitely not about control. Sometimes in order to achieve the freedom, some things need to be controlled. Dynamics, uh, tempos, uh, you know, some transitions uh, where everyone suddenly looks at you yeah. because... Everyone wants to, you know, make next step or switching to next gear or changing a color together. Um, and it's that sometimes comes to a certain degree of control. But right. other than that, it's really enabling and, uh, and opening spaces and leading and guiding and attracting attention to something that just might about to happen or is happening and happening today differently than it happened yesterday in rehearsal. It's a life material. Uh, we're live people, so you cannot play the same phrase the same way every day it will never work you know like even the the pitch we play with you know it's it's all relative because we are our hearing is of course sharp but it cannot guarantee that today we play an a 440 hertz and we tune to it but they would always have this little varieties you know which makes it which makes us human and not machines right wow um so, going to the very first time you, or what was the first piece you ever composed, and what was running through your head while you uh, were composed? You mean conducting? I'm sorry, conducting. conducting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Are you no, a composer? I haven't been, no, I haven't been ever composing <laughs> anything. I this I leave to others. Um, right. <laughs> I might have some uh, degrees of uh, talents, but definitely not <laughs> composing is definitely not one of them. Um. Well, the, the one thing I conducted a very, very first time in front of the orchestra, that was this one experience I would never forget that was the uh, menuet from Mozart's 41st Symphony, the Jupiter. And uh, it's a very elegant and simple um, 18th century dance, uh, brilliantly orchestrated and uh, written down by uh, Mozart in his last years of his life. But... Um, well, it was definitely not a public performance. And uh, if I think of um, the first piece I ever uh, conducted in a public performance, uh, like a serious full concert, ooh, I guess um, one of the first would be uh, a Dvorak Seventh Symphony. Mm. Um, but I don't necessarily remember. That's a good question. I need to actually dig into Reflect, my archives and yeah. wants to remember what, what do I consider really my first public professional conducting debut concert yeah mm. 
have to um, figure that. Uh, that's okay. I'll let you think and reflect. And um, when, how would you say your preparations before um, a performance have changed since the very beginning to now? Like, do you have any? Um, when you're when you're a young musician, uh, and, and especially when you're a young conductor, to a certain degree, uh, you think and you feel about many things that you are because you are discovering the world. You think that you you finally know how to do this right, and everyone before you never noticed and never knew, and you are so absolute about being right. You know, you are so um, unforgiving of any traditions. You know, and uh, and you are trying to make your point very hard, and uh, and uh, obviously you fail very often because <laughs> this absolutism that is akin to young people, you know, being completely... Sh because with discovering the world, uh, you're always amazed with everything. <gasps> How did, you know, you, you find something in the score and you hear 50 recordings and no one does it. And you ignore the fact that maybe all these 50 people before you or 500 people before you actually had a good reason for doing this this way, even if it's not in the score. And you insist on doing the way the composer has written it down. And you fail because, you know, there are reasons yeah. for that not to be done this way. The older you get and the more experience you get, actually in um, understanding what the conducting is about, that also changes profoundly the way you prepare for the orchestra. Because for the concerts and for the performances. Because when you're young, you are actually all the time performing. Also during the rehearsals, from the first moment, you are so uh, burning, you know, with uh, with desire and eagerness, and that instead of actually rehearsing, you are forcing the orchestra to perform right away. And the next stage would be that you are preparing the orchestra during the three or four days of rehearsals to perform the certain way and then in the concert unfortunately that doesn't happen because mm. something you know doesn't work and you rehearsed the certain way but in the concert exactly this way didn't happen the older you get the more you realize and it's not so much about age it's about if you start early you would be done with this process maybe until you are 30 but if you start later it's about understanding that the preparation and rehearsal process is not about preparing a certain way of performance. It's creating a condition for anything being able to happen during this one performance you are going to give. You need to so much um, travel through all this uh, process and, 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 and have a journey with your orchestra um, during the rehearsal process that in the concert, everyone can do anything. And this is the kind of freedom you, you are trying to create the, during the preparation process. And if there, again, if the relationship between the orchestra and the conductor is right, then the orchestra would know pretty quickly that this particular conductor is not going to conduct during the concert exactly the same way he conducted during the dress rehearsal or rehearsal before, and the second concert will be different from the first. But they will know that I would be giving, or this given conductor would be giving the orchestra freedom to improvise and to go places we were not yet 
you know, going to during the rehearsal process. So for me, this is now the most important thing, is being able to cover all bases in such a way during the rehearsal that we really know piece well enough, but the actual performance and actual result will be created during the concert. Mm -hmm. Is there any... Um have you ever had a really hard lesson you had to learn while during a performance that you kind of just had to move past? And was there any kind of big, like, oh, no, that you had to <laughs> work well, through? Well, there are always, you know, there are some things you learn uh, a hard way during your uh, during the rehearsal process. And, and sometimes it just doesn't click. You come to an orchestra you haven't been working before. And they had a rough few weeks before and uh, busy with their thoughts, something else. You know, you, you work with them, but it doesn't click, and uh, musicians can be very unforgiving, you know, and uh, also pretty blunt with uh, the way they feel you, that they, you know, they are there because it's their job, but they don't really much care about what's happening. You try to be professional about that, and uh, that can be hurtful, especially when you're young and uh, sensitive and don't um, necessarily have understanding that, you know, there's another week next week and another orchestra and you don't necessarily need to judge uh, uh, yourself um, and your qualities upon the reaction of others to you. I mean, you, you don't need to self-doubt yourself too often. You need to question yourself uh, uh, all the time whether where you, you go is right, but self-doubt is not a, a good thing. Right. And during the concerts, so far... Touch wood. <laughs> I never had an experience that would be like, oh, that was a catastrophe or something. You know, you learn a few things uh, sometimes during the performance. Is the kind of revelations come your way, uh, especially because of it's a life matter. You realize that sometimes how could I overlook something that significant during the three days of rehearsal? Just some things become apparent during the performance and that's understandable because if you are not trying to perform during the rehearsal a certain energies and certain pace places appear only when the piece is really the journeys and uninterruptedly is created from the first to the last note and also with the help of audience public listening you know this um, ingredient of the performance uh, must not be underestimated how much it influences uh, the actual performance uh, and even the size of the hall and size of the audience um, the energy created by thousand people or two thousand people in the hall and the response of the ensemble performing from the stage projecting their music towards um, the various numbers in the audience can significantly impact the actual outcome Right. And it does. I'm completely convinced about that. Oh, yeah. I 100% agree. Like when I'm performing my own music, um, practicing in my studio is a lot different than performing on stage and facing a bunch of blank faces. So Yeah, I and if there are 20 people, <laughs> it's a different thing than when there's 200 or 1,000. Yeah. I mean, it's so. a, it's inevitable fact. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I guess when pe people who are listening, if that's something that you want to, if you're going to be performing, Keep that in mind. Like you should be practicing as if you are at a performance, oh, yeah. and, and yeah. imagine maybe put a picture That's of true. people just looking at you yeah. <laughs> to get yeah. get into that mindset. Um, so I'd like to shift a little bit into your, now your role as music director at WSO. Yeah. Um, you're responsible for picking or help one of the people responsible for choosing the repertoire that's going to be played. 
in the series. Well, as music director, you are obviously ultimately responsible for the artistic face of organization and the artistic content. Mm -hmm. But um, as on stage, um, it's a team effort in performing uh, what is chosen to be performed. Mm -hmm. And conductor without the orchestra is a, is a very lost and very lonely individual which doesn't sound at all, you know? It's a, it's a silent musician on stage, uh, the only one who doesn't actually produce sounds. But the same well, applies... I mean, you could do some grunts. Or yeah, but <laughs> yeah, you'd, you'd, it's the, it would be the orchestra that, right. that, that might hurt these grunts, but not the audience. Right. At the, um, at the end of the day, the, um, the same applies to the teamwork um, in building um, a process. And of course, um, it's expected, and uh, in a way, the reason you are chosen uh, to be music director and hired to be music director is to provide leadership and insight and uh, strategy, in a way, and um, vision to the artistic process. But you would be never able to achieve this alone, so I'm uh, very privileged to be surrounded by people uh, at Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra on all levels, whether it's artistic or administrative or infrastructural or stage management or marketing or ticket sales, mm -hmm. that are really passionately involved with all aspects of the orchestra and of orchestra's life, but also are um, high-level professionals in what they do. And um, the way the artistic planning is uh, coming to life is that um, we discuss the the you know, the vision, the direction we want to take um, with my uh, artistic administrator, vice president of artistic operations, uh, with the colleagues. Uh, we have a uh, programming committee comprised of uh, musicians of the orchestra. And we're trying to, uh, and we're trying to uh, picture which direction our vision is going to take us. And we bring uh, various proposals on a, t on a table uh, those of the artistic committee uh, members are in touch with uh, all the members of the orchestra and people, you know, once in a while come to them and say, oh, you know what, I would love to play this or why haven't we played this for 30 years or do you remember we played this 10 years ago, we need to do this again. So all this finds its way into a wish list and then um, um, I have, of course, my wish list of the things I, I really would like to perform with the orchestra. There are also things I think the orchestra needs to perform to maintain um, uh, its level. And, you know, like a, any well-operating uh, piece of machinery or a great car or whatever, it also needs to undergo some maintenance, you know, like, like also a, a running horse or a car. I don't want to compare the orchestra to this, but you cannot just have a, a, a great car and, and ride it. You need to change filters, oils, you know. Right. And, and sometimes this maintenance of the uh, tight operations on stage between the musicians are... Um, is, is This maintenance is taken care of by uh, working on certain repertoire uh, that has a cleansing effect let's say you know very often these are for example works by the Viennese classics the symphonies by Haydn, Mozart, Schubert, um, Beethoven um, these are the uh, compositions that uh, request from us such demand from us such a level of uh, sharpness and, and quality that's very uh, very good and then 
Of course, I need to also recognize um, what the Winnipeg audiences are listening to uh, with a great affection, what they really love. But there's also things that I would like them to discover. I like them to be affectionate for. I like them to love that are maybe not played here too often. Um, and there is also various degrees of background uh, and, and, and emotional uh, connection to the works that one conductor has more to, let's say, Germanic romantic music and other and to Slavonic romantic music. I am of Russian-Jewish background. My predecessor was German and his predecessor was Russian again and his predecessor was British and so on. And there was a Japanese music director here. So we all have our artistic DNA which we want to reflect upon uh, also in uh, choices we make for uh, repertoire. Uh, but this this process is a very uh, is is involving a lot of people, and the ultimate decision, of course, at the end when everything lines up, um, lies on my shoulders, and this is my responsibility, and I put my signature under it. But it's never a, a lonely kind of wolf uh, process. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so when you when you are suggesting your wish list, is there a specific era of music that you tend to gravitate towards? Or are you kind of open to all styles? I used to um, uh, pretty seriously um, uh, state, and I, I still believe this is not um, untrue, that I, I tend to specialize on everything in terms of I really would not like my deprive myself of being able to perform orchestral music by Bach and... Uh, um, and, 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 and Vivaldi, but also uh, conducting the scores that are not written yet and are written as we speak and would be premiered at our next new music festival in January. Mm -hmm. So the scope of my uh, repertoire involvement is, you know, from the middle 17th century or maybe even early if we're talking about the music of Renaissance um, until our day. But there are, as I mentioned, a certain uh, artistic DNA uh, components uh, in me that uh, ultimately uh, lead to a more intimate connection to, for example, uh, music uh, music by Russian composers, uh, whether it's Tchaikovsky or Shostakovich, uh, Mussorgsky or Prokofiev, or Rachmaninoff or uh, Borodin. These are things that I don't need to think about. I don't need even to. A question. It's something that is part of the matter I'm built off, simply because from where where I'm from. But I'm but I'm a, uh, also intimately connected to music by Gustav Mahler, for example. And I cannot imagine not performing symphonies by Mozart in large quantities because, for me, Mozart is. Uh, something as unquestionable for our musical universe as sun for our solar system in our universe so i'd say yes it's uh, i'm i'm today i'm very connected to rahmanov symphonic dances and this in wonderful incredible new work by our composer in residence harry Staphylakis. Uh, we are giving world premiere today uh, into oblivion so and this is uh, and this is today. And next week I will be conducting something completely different across the pond in Poland. And uh, the next time I'm here, it's Beethoven, and I will be completely connected to that. And then it's New Music Festival. And so it's really... Uh, 
Yeah, it's what what I'm breathing today is that's what occupies me mm. the most. Yeah. Do you feel like it's a job or are you just tap like no, no it's music <laughs> for me uh, as for I I I'm truly believe that for many of my friends and and colleagues uh, whether performers or composers or uh, conductors or instrumentalists if it's done uh, uh, with a degree of uh, devotion and uh, physical and emotional necessity as it is for me it's it's something which never leaves you for a moment it's uh, it's it's as i said it's a condition it's not being a, a, a true musician it's not a profession it's a condition and it never stops and ends you 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 go to sleep with music in your hand and that's the first time and even in your dreams it's a lot of music you know we wake up you pick it up and it it's a continuous process there's never there's never a moment uh, that you actually can totally switch off, mm -hmm. which is a gift and a curse too. <laughs> yeah, I can tell you. It that. is. It is definitely both of those things. Um, so when you're performing, or sorry, when you're presenting this music, do you do you enjoy playing the stuff that is more popular to, to audiences who might get more of a reaction, or do you enjoy finding hidden gems and and it depends. It depends. I uh, here in Winnipeg, for example, there's the greatest example of uh, we have uh, several series uh, of classical music. The absolute classic is, of course, uh, a repertoire that is well known. It's the absolute classics. You know, it's an A series, and um, of course, I enjoy performing the jewels of symphonic repertoire, whether it's Brahms or Tchaikovsky symphonies. And I know that people who come to this concert, they know this works, they love this works, and they will enjoy the performance. And we can bathe in this wonderful um, sense of uh, appreciation. appreciation and uh, uh, glory of music. But then we have Beyond Classic series, which offers, like tonight, uh, next to an absolute undisputed a classic masterwork by Rachmaninoff of uh, symphonic dances. We have the work that's getting its uh, world premiere today and tomorrow. And this process is also intriguing and very uh, gratifying because you are able to work. Let's face it, Tchaikovsky and Rachmaninoff are all long dead. I cannot communicate with them directly. I cannot ask them what did they mean. How do they want it? Is my tempo choice right? Is there's no direct connection. And there's some conductors of colleagues say, oh, I speak to Tchaikovsky, I know exactly <laughs> what he means. Well, let them keep their conversation with Tchaikovsky. But with the living conductors, or with the living composers, uh, the ones that are part of the process of us preparing their work, you know, just the fact that they're in the room changes the whole set of rules already, once and for all. And that you are able during the rehearsal to stop and turn and ask, and how do you feel about this tempo? And, and do you hear enough harp? Or um, why is this note here? Are you sure it has... This process is unique. It's incredible. It's like you, you are suddenly becoming, a, in a way, a co-creator, at least to a small contribution you can give as a performing artist because um, we are I, I always feel so inferior to uh, the people who are actually creating who are actually composing and putting down this cryptography on the white sheet of paper you know this little signs we call notes but as a performer we are of course second in line or third in line to uh, to them and yet being able to communicate with them and being part of this process in real time it's as exciting as and as gratifying as uh, um, 
performing the long uh, loved and accepted works of uh, golden hundred you know classical repertoire works mm-hmm. um, and and sometimes uh, y- you are surprised about the fact how audience genuinely reacts to new things things they are also becoming part of being the first ones to actually hear these results because the orchestra is playing it for the first time. I'm conducting for the first time. Composer actually hears for the first time, but then the audience becomes part of this creative process by also actually rec- receiving it for the first time and reacting to that. And this reaction, this moment when everything stops and we just, the birth of the new work is actually complete with its first performance, this is the moment that sometimes is overwhelmingly more. Um, gratifying than if you are conducting a symphony by Tchaikovsky or Brahms for a hundredth time. Mm. So with that being said, do you have any advice for up-and-coming or aspiring composers or conductors who are going to get involved in that experience? Well, there's only one advice. Um, um, I I always followed myself. uh, Really try to listen to your inner voice. Don't try to be someone else. You will always fail by trying to, uh, even if you embrace a tradition, still, you will always fail to uh, be something else than you are. So if you feel strong about something, uh, what you want to represent, work on this. Don't try to copy. Don't try to um, follow in the footsteps of someone in a way that is uh, uh, not self-expressing, you know? And you can embrace a certain style of composing which will be reminiscent to music by Mozart. Or you're going to compose which will sound like, they will tell, or like post-romantic. Or you will do a minimalism and it will sound like, you know, Philip Mm -hmm. Glass. But in all these instances, it needs to be you uh, who is expressing it. And for the conductors, it's the same thing. I mean, we all have uh, different... You know, we're different bodies, uh, different faces. We're male or female. We're white or black or whatever. It doesn't matter. We need to uh, always think that, especially as um, communicators, as as I say, conductor is a communicator, you can only um, succeed is um, uh, only succeed when when you are really true to. uh, your inner voice to inner yourself because then you become a kind of a reflecting medium and you you send an impulse or you reflect an impulse sent to you to someone else and that reaches them without uh, losing its true shape and so it's it's a real reflection and not something that is uh, manipulated so mm-hmm. and sometimes it's hard because you just feel that people around you coping third or fourth individual are being more successful but you always have to ask yourself for how long and sometimes the recognition might not come during your lifetime which is also a hard pill to swallow but if you copy someone else and not being yourself recognition might never come also after your lifetime and uh, history is full of examples where the greatest that are greatest in our view today or already for 200 years 
were not recognized as such during their lifetime. And yet they stayed who they are, and that's why they became greatest. Right. Yeah, yeah I immediately think of, of Beethoven. And yeah, and Mozart, yeah, you know. Just all the big buried names. A, buried in a grave for poor people. Mass gra- we do, don't even know where he was buried. I mean, died in misery, left alone. You know, it's... Uh, and yet, it's hardly another name in music any, of any kind yeah, uh, that stands out as much as Mozart and so many others. Yeah, Beethoven too. Mm. You know? So yeah. it's, uh, it's, um, it seems to be a very general advice, but uh, yeah, some things are as simple as that. Right, absolutely. Well, we do have to wrap up. Uh, we have reached the max time. Um, I really enjoyed um, being able Thank to you. listen to you. Thank you. And me too. Yes. I'm excited to come to this show. Um, yeah, please do. I will. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Is there anything that you would like to um, to add or plug or say before we go? Well, I just would like to use this opportunity to uh, invite everyone who uh, comes to the concerts of the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra on a regular basis come more often. We have um, a lot of shows uh, that are... Uh, wonderfully diverse and we always are trying to find new ways of exciting our audiences those who are uh, our regulars or not and for those who uh, wake up today and going to a symphony concert is not the first thing on their mind I just want to tell that don't believe those who tell you that you need to know something you need to be prepared for something you need to be afraid of something it's not something for you it's elitist it's complicated no Um, music um, is something that is incredibly easy to receive if you're open to it. And uh, the word classical doesn't have to scare anyone uh, because, as I often say, anything which was written 200 years ago or 100 years ago was contemporary music then, and it became classics. It became classical because of its incredible quality and um, emotional impact it made for generations on audiences and um, it's been listened to with great gratitude for hundreds of years so join us on our uh, regular concerts whether it's classics or pops or kids or movies show we really do have uh, much for everyone mm-hmm. awesome well, thank you so much thank you um, you're listening to the Winnipeg Music Project on 101.5 UMFM I'm Ashley being as your host this has been Daniel Raiskin uh, thank you and uh, tune in next week for another interview with another local music maker. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Winnipeg Music Project. For more on local music makers, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Music by Will and Art from Collector Studio, and a big thank you to UMFM for making this show possible.